Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Y'all doing all right? All right, now look, I'm used to working with teenagers, so I'm going to need you to bring the energy, okay? Can you bring the energy this morning? Yeah? So how are you guys doing this morning? All right. See, this is the kind of hope that our world needs. You see, we don't have a wimpy Savior, all right? We don't have a wimpy God. And even though the world may be in chaos, even though we have problems and we have questions, listen, our Jesus still reigns and He still prevails. And so I need you to worship God this morning like He lives. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. All right. We're going to be over in the book of Colossians today. If you'll take your Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Megan, I'm going to give you a break, so I'll, I'll call you up in just a second. I don't want you to have to stand there forever. Megan's going to be my assistant today, so I'm super excited about that. Um, you may be wondering, what is this? Anyone, anyone starting to, to question what this may be? I'll tell you what this is. This may be the last time I ever preach, all right? Because something could go horribly wrong, but we'll, we'll figure that out. All right, Colossians chapter 2, the letter from Paul, as Paul is writing in imprisonment to Colossae, all right? And these Colossian Christians actually haven't even seen Paul face to face. They have never met Paul, and Paul is going to be writing to a church that is mostly Gentile believers, meaning non-Jewish, okay? Not the original people of God, all right? And they're going to be having some questions all right, in their lives, just like us, these people have a world of questions. Do we live in a world full of questions today? Amen? These people live in a world full of problems. Do we have any problems in this room this morning? Just, just two of us? Okay, maybe I'm alone. How about some chaos? Three things that these Christians are familiar with. Three things I think that anybody that lives in a fallen world is familiar with, all right? But let's get a little background here on what Colossae is like. This population, even though this is a church that is mostly made up of Gentile uh, believers, the population of the area was mostly Jewish, and Jewish culture was very very, uh, enriched here in this area. However, Remember, there's going to be a lot of Greek influence on this world and where these people live. So we have the the philosophers, right? We have the people who who claim to have the wisdom of the world who are going to speak and say, this is how you should live. This is who you should worship. We have the Greek gods and the worship of the time where you have a deity for just about anything you can imagine, right? Right? If, you worship, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to have children, you worship the God of fertility, right? If you, if you want to have prosperity, you worship the God that would provide prosperity. And then insert Jesus into this world, the man who is fully God and says, I am the total authority. Worship me alone. And so Paul's writing to these people with many questions, with many influences. This, this location of this church is going to be about 100 miles away from Ephesus. Now, Paul actually did get to go to Ephesus, 
And Paul actually did get to be with those Christians. So we imagine, this is a really cool thing, don't miss this, we imagine that the, the church at Colossae has heard the gospel from 100 miles away at Ephesus. So we know that the gospel is doing some good work, and we know that the gospel is spreading. And so Paul was encouraged by this, and he's encouraged by the faith of the Colossians, if you look back in chapter number 1. We've got to look at also Paul's connection. We have this man named Epaphras. Epaphras was a man that worked on behalf of Paul while he was in prison to go to the churches, to encourage the churches. And so Epaphras comes back to Paul in prison and he explains, listen Paul, this church in, in Colossae, they're great people. They love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're facing some issues. What are the issues they're facing? You see, at the time... This church is facing some outside pressure full of heresies. There were people outside of the church from several different angles. There were people of a Jewish culture. There were people of a Greek culture. There were people of, uh, of a philosophical background that were trying to influence the Christians here and say that you must do this, this, and this. Yeah, you can have your Jesus, but if you don't have this, this, and this, then, then you're not truly a part of God. You don't really know who God is. So there's these heresies that are going around. Some specifics before we jump into the text. We believe that we can't, we can't find exactly what the, the religion or the single school of thought was, but these are the things, these are the heresies, the lies that were being uh, expressed in Colossae. There was a sort of mysticism or, or what we might call Gnosticism, which is essentially a very small group of people claiming that they have a special knowledge of God and that God has revealed to them something that is not revealed to the rest of the 99% of God's people. So you had people speaking this lie that you could not fully understand what we understand. You can, you can maybe, you know, maybe if you're, if you're brighter than a few other people, you can get closer to God. Or maybe if you aren't as bright, you can't get as close to God. This is the lie that they were, that they were sharing. The next thing, Jewish tradition. Jewish believers were then coming in from the outside and saying to Gentile believers that you must follow the food laws. You must be circumcised. You must do all these things. And you'll see that as we approach this today, we will see that it's a Jesus and uh, religion and not just a Jesus only religion that they were pushing. Finally, we have asceticism, which is basically the denial of the self, right? This is the, maybe some self harm or maybe uh, uh, extreme fasting. And they believe that if you did all these things, that you would reach God on your own, as we know that our Savior went to the cross because we couldn't get there on our own, right? But these people were preaching that we needed to do something else. There were even some angel worshipers that said that Jesus wasn't the only mediator to God. Let's dive into the text. And before we do, let us have a moment of prayer to ask the Lord to reveal to us today what He wants us to see. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, God, we thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house this morning. God, we thank You because You've brought us here at this time to worship You and to hear a message from You. God, I trust You with what is before us. God, in a world of chaos and questions and problems, God, we trust You to provide for us, to guide us. 
God is this morning as we approach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is going to be three parts. You ever, did you ever love, anyone in here love math class in high school? You love math? I would say there's probably a, a 90% no on that one, all right? Well, the good, the good thing about math class is you could always turn to the back of the book, right? You remember that? You go all the way back to the book. What do you find there at the back of the book? You find the answers, don't you? So I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to help you out here, okay? For those of you who aren't good at math, I'm going to give you a few answers, right? So we have three sections here, all right? Part one is this. Paul is going to talk about the qualities of a faithful church. And when I say faithful church, I mean faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel, okay? Part two that we're going to look at, so part one, qualities of a faithful church. Part two is this, the sufficiency, the authority, and the triumph of Christ. He's going to make clear the sufficiency, the authority, and the triumph of Christ. And then thirdly, part number three, he's going to talk about the inadequacy of man-made religion. He's going to talk about the inadequacy of man-made religion. Let's get right into it, all right? Verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Man, you've got to love the heart of Paul. You've got to love the heart of Paul for the church. He says here, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That word there, struggle, is literally, Paul time and time again is going to use the illustration of an Olympic athlete. We see this all throughout his letters. And this, this struggle is like a, a runner running a race, and he's pushing with all that he has to finish that race, to complete, to make it to the finish line. And Paul is saying this, everything that I am doing, my imprisonment, my torture that I suffer for you, my, my, my prayers, my daily prayers on my knees in this cold, wet jail cell where I'm interceding on behalf for hours and hours going to the Father on behalf of you. He's saying, I'm struggling. I'm struggling for you. And I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. Even though I haven't seen you face to face, I make this struggle for you. You've got to, you've got to love the heart of Paul for the church. And it makes me wonder, how many Pauls do we have holding up our churches today? How many of us are struggling for the building up of the church, for the furthering of the church? Because he wanted them to understand one thing, that was Jesus Christ. And because he wanted them to understand this, he was struggling daily for them. He wants to communicate that he's not only running a race for his own sake, but for the sake of the church. Let me ask you, Christian believer in this room today, are you running your own race still? Are you supposed to be aligned with Christ, but you're still running for you? Versus running to build the church, struggling to build the church. Let's take a look at verse 2 and 3. It says, going on, that their hearts, why is he struggling? So that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
And so that, that first one, he says, I str- why do you struggle from Paul? I struggle so that their hearts may be encouraged. And the Greek word there in, that, we, that we render as encouraged often means to comfort, to exhort. But really what it is, it's, it's a symbolism of like a general going to the front lines to, to have a talk with a battalion that is there at the, front, at the front lines of war. And the general leaves his post, goes to the front line, and he's giving them a pet talk because they're falling behind. He's pushing them on. It's like the coach at halftime in the locker room when you're down a touchdown and, and, and they're about to get chewed out in that locker room, right? You know what's about to happen. The coach gets in there. It's the same way. He's saying, I'm encouraging you. I'm calling you to be courageous. I'm calling you to face whatever you're facing head on. Don't turn away. Don't retreat. The battle's not lost. I want you to continue on forward. That's what Paul is saying here. I, I'm struggling for you in prayer. I'm struggling for you in my own life so that you would be courageous and face these battles, face these problems, face these questions. The title of the message today, Who Will Answer? Who Will Answer? And Paul is saying, these questions that you have, these problems you face, face them head on, courageously. Get up off the bench! There are no alternates in God's army. There are no alternates on God's team. Then he goes on, he says, that you would be knit together in love. Let me ask you, church. Pastor, can I step on some toes this morning? Is that all right? How good a job are we doing this? That you would be knit together in love. Now, can you honestly say that we are knit together in love as a church body this morning? I mean, think about it. He has a way with words and crafting these beautiful images, doesn't he? But that you would be tied together, that you would be interwoven, and that you would be bound by love. So that's the second thing. The first thing Paul wants for these Christians is this, that they would be courageous. The second thing he wants for these Christians is this, that they would be knit together in love as a body. The third thing... It's incredible. And this is what we're going to address the rest of our time together this morning. He says, and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. To gain and reach the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And this, this word here, he's, if, 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 you're not, if you're not looking at it carefully, he's going to, all throughout this passage, he's going to be placing words in here that are going to reference the philosophies of the world that they are dealing with. And we may not catch them because we're not familiar with them, but these people at Colossae will catch these references. And he says, the mystery of God, which is Christ. And he's calling out these people that are saying you have to have a special knowledge. Only a a select few can know who God is. And he's saying, no, you know what the mystery of God is? The mystery of God is revealed in one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's saying, I I would hope that you would gain the, the understanding, the knowledge. And understanding and knowledge here are two different words. They're similar in the English. They're two different words here that he's using. This knowledge is a spiritual understanding. So he's saying, I pray that not only you would know God in a physical sense, not only would you understand God in a physical sense, but you would know Him on a spiritual level. And later on in the text, he's going to talk about the elementary aspects of what all the philosophies of this world are. 
Indeed, they're not advanced at all. They may sound good. They may puff up a person. But what happens is you stay down here. And where is God? As he says, my ways are so much higher than your ways. And my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. We can't contend with that kind of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, trying to make it on your own to answer the questions of life by human wisdom, we can't contend with His kind of wisdom. We can't understand on a spiritual level the battles that we are facing. It's through Christ alone that we are victorious. Amen? Verse 4, let's move on. Verse 4 and 5 says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He says, I say this so that you may not be deluded, so that you may not be deceived, so that you literally will not be led down the wrong path, so that you not take the wrong road. Narrow is the path. That doesn't lead to destruction. And he's saying, I'm about to tell you these things so that you do not go down the wrong path. So that you do stay the course. Can you say plausible arguments? Turn to your neighbor and say plausible arguments. Oh no, y'all got to wake up. It's too early now. Plausible arguments. Do you know that there's some very convincing arguments out there? He says, I don't want you to be deceived because listen to me carefully. The arguments that the world has to offer, they're going to sound good. The arguments that the world has to offer for the questions of life, they're going to sound convincing. But that's why they're deceitful because they look good, but then when they reel you in, they leave you empty. They leave you with actually no answer at all. Are there some plausible arguments? Are there some persuasive arguments in the media today? Are there some people that are being led astray by friends and family members that aren't implementing godly wisdom? Are there some conversations that happen around our dinner tables that are leading us further and further away from the truth that is the Word of God because of some fancy opinions that someone has? He said, be careful because there's going to be some very persuasive, there's going to be some plausible arguments out there that will lead you on the wrong path. And then here, he exhorts them in verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Man, he says, because of these things, here's how the Christian life ought to look. Because of these things, to keep you from these things, what ought you to do? This is that that question, but what does it mean for me now? And he says these things. He says that you would be walking, that that word there that he uses, live according to, as you go, that you're doing these things, and according to what you have received. What had they received? They had received the teachings and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says you've got 
the most important thing. Now live according to the most important thing. And he says, being rooted, he uses a couple pictures here, rooted like a tree planted, right? He says, being rooted, you make sure your roots go down into that knowledge and understanding of God. Make sure that it doesn't go wide, but that it goes deep, right? And, and, and dig deep into God. But then he says, being built up. Because it's not enough to be rooted in Christ if you're not growing in Christ. If you're not growing in Christ, you will be tossed, as James says, to and fro by the waves of doctrine. So we must be rooted in Christ. We must be continually growing in Christ. And then he says this, you must be established. And I I think of the picture that Jesus shares with the the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And the one that was on the rock was established. The one that was on the stand was not established. Be rooted in Christ. Continually be growing in Christ. Be established in Christ. I remember when I, I did martial arts for 13 years and I competed in tournaments. And I remember my coach would be sitting over there on my side of the ring. And I would get in the ring and I would come back and you get to you know a minute and a half. And then the killer three-minute rounds. And, and anyways, you get halfway through. You're down by, you know, the odds are against you. And I'd go back to my coach and she would look me in the eye and she would say this to me every time. She would say, why in the world do you look like a puppy dog that just got whooped? She said, you better go out there and be the fighter that you have trained hundreds and hundreds of hours to be. Be the fighter that you have trained to be. I think this is what Paul is saying to the Christians. He's saying, you've put in the work. You know Jesus. You have the real stuff. You're rooted in Him. You're built up in Him. You're growing in Him. You're established in Him. And now be the Christian that you have learned to be according to Him. Not according to all these other things. Don't look like something else. Look like what He has taught you to be and stick to it. Be the Christian that follows Christ. Man, and that's just the introduction. Y'all ready? Let's get rolling. Part two. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna roll into this. This is this. He gives his reasons. He gives what he what he wants for these Christians to be. And now he's gonna get down to business. Are you ready? Hold on, this is the sufficiency, the authority, and the triumph of Christ. In verse 8, he's going to give a bunch of warnings against the heresies that are going on uh, in, in the culture at Colossae. All right? Verse 8 says this, See it that no one takes you, say, captive. Turn to your neighbor, say, captive. Man, you guys are tough. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority he says see it that you are not taken captive we're going to come back to that word but first, I want to take a look at what he's talking about here. These, these philosophies that he means. He says, don't be taken captive by the philosophies and empty deceits. You know, in the world we live in today, 
everyone can be a philosopher. I feel like we may even have it worse today than they did at Colossae. You get on Twitter, you get on Facebook, man, everyone's a philosopher, aren't they? If you have a following, it doesn't matter what you say, as long as you say it and people like it. Isn't that scary? Our philosophers have, have, have taken new forms. And oftentimes, it's, it's the, popular, the popular people that get to dictate the culture. Hmm. It's a scary world we live in, isn't it? And he says there's some philosophies out there. There's some empty deceits, and, and that's the thing. Is they're, they're deceptive. They, they, they sound good. They taste good for a season. And then they just let you down. He says, beware of these philosophies. You know, in, in that culture, especially in the Greek culture, the philosophers, those who were studying philosophy, the love of wisdom would stand out in the streets and they would just say what they believed truth was. And they would speak out and anyone on the streets would gather and they would hear them. And what you get is a melting pot of ideas. And these people were starting to think, yeah, this Jesus guy is okay. I like what he has to say. I think it's good he says, love your enemy. But what does Plato say? Yeah, maybe we can mix those two together. And Paul is saying, that's a very dangerous game. Church family, be aware of the philosophies of the world. Understand what the philosophies of the world. And here's the thing, is you've got to compare it to what ultimately matters. That is truth. That is the Word of God. You have this in your hand. You have this on your shelves at home. You probably have 15 copies. You have it here. Beware the philosophies of the world and empty deceit. Secondly, he says, beware of the human tradition, according to human tradition. Man, isn't that the most dangerous statement in the church today? Well, that's not the way we've always done it. Well, we've always done it this way, so we have to keep doing it this way. Beware. This is the same conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. One of my professors in college, he told me, well, he told all of us as we were about to get our bachelor's degree, that beautiful piece of paper, right? That, that, we, that we longed for, that we, that we had worked so hard with blood, sweat, and tears to attain. And when we were going to get that piece of paper, he said this to us. He said, now you're qualified to be Pharisees. But what he was saying was this. Those people understood all the law. Those people understood exactly what the right words were. They understood exactly what the right actions were. And when Jesus, the Son of God, was before them, they totally missed him. Be aware of human tradition. It's going to speak into the hearts of the Jewish culture here. Be aware. Don't do these things according to tradition and miss the Savior. Then he says, thirdly, according to the elemental spirits of the world. It's unclear here in the, in the translation what this could actually, because this could actually mean a couple of things. Astrology was a big thing then as it is now, right? You've got this, the zodiac signs. You ever heard that? What's, what's your sign? 
What does that mean for you, right? And they would look at the stars and they would, they would spell out what exactly their, their, their life would be. Or, or, or they would consult with the stars to see if, if the idea that they were pursuing was worthy of pursuing or, or if they would prosper in this endeavor, right? This, this astrology and, and, and this, this goes back to the special knowledge that we talked about earlier, but also it could mean this. It could mean, some of your translations may say, elementary principles of the world. Anyone have that? According to the elementary principles of the world. This is literally to break down to something to say the ABCs, the, the, the very simple breakdown, rudimentary, fundamental ideas of the world. He's saying, you know what these philosophies really are? You know what that astrology really is? This is not advanced at all. This is very simple, rudimentary sort of thinking. This is childlike thinking. To believe that you can be guided by the stars once you have known the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Once you've known Him, why do you go back to the simplistic thinking of the ABCs? Why do you go back to the 101 of what it means to be human when you've found your identity in the One who created you? Don't take a step back. Don't go back to first grade when you've graduated college. He said your level of thinking should be advanced. And what is your advanced thinking is that you would find everything you need in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we think these people must be smart. He's got a doctorate degree from Cambridge. I want to listen to him. If it doesn't line up with Christ, let me give you one word of advice. Run. If it doesn't line up with this book, let me save you some heartache. Run from it. And he says... See to it that no one takes you captive. And this word in, in, in the time means to be carried off as plunder when they would, when they would pursue and siege a, a village or something and they would overtake them and they would take all that they wanted as plunder. They would take people as slaves. They would take the money. They would take all the valuables. And he says, don't let these philosophies carry you off as plunder from war. Don't let these philosophies take you as slaves. And he's going to come back to the point that Jesus has set us free. And you see this picture like we see in the Israelites are out in the wilderness and they're wandering around and God is providing for them daily. He's putting a, a pillar of cloud and, and a pillar of fire before them. Do they have any reason to doubt God's goodness? They've just crossed the Red Sea and the soldiers that were pursuing them have fallen. And they get out there and they say, you know what? We want to go back to Egypt. The food was better there. And Paul here is saying, have you forgotten that you've been set free from these things? Don't forget the freedom that is found in Christ. Right? Y'all with me? If you're in Christ, you've been set free from the bondage of worldly things. Don't allow yourself again to become subject to them. Don't enter back into that slavery. That's back to the rudimentary way of thinking. That's back to going back to uh, childlike thinking. Stick with Christ who has saved you. Verse 9 and 10. Let's look at the sufficiency 
of Christ here. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Man, this is such, this is such a great uh, a verse in this passage where he talks about the sufficiency of Christ. He says the whole fullness of deity dwelled in Him bodily. And he's saying that you want to know God? You know who, who, who God sent was Jesus, and in Jesus the fullness of God dwelt. And that's why when Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees, He says that if you had seen Me, you have seen the Father, but if you don't believe in Me, then you can't believe in the Father. If you don't love Me, then you don't love the Father. Jesus was very clear. And you can read through the book of John. I encourage you to do it. Just read straight through and you'll be convinced that Jesus is who He said He is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we need. Some of you today put your faith in the government. Some of you today put your faith in not believing in the government. And I just wonder if we took our passion that we took to political debates to the Word of God, what kind of believers would we be? To be filled here, he says, and you have been filled with Him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's talking to the believers. He says, you have been filled. What does that word filled mean? It's to, to be completely full, to, ma- to be made complete, to be fulfilled, to be finished. In Christ, man, you have been completed. In Christ, you no longer need to search for anything else. You have found the prize. Your life no longer represents a mindless wandering as you did when you were lost. But when you found Christ, you found everything. When you found Christ, you were made full. Your cup overflows because He has filled you up. And again, He is enough. Verse 11, In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, And having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. He's speaking to these people where the Jewish believers on the outside, yeah, yeah, we believe in the Messiah. We saw Him die on the cross. Right? you got to think, this is, this is around A.D. 60 or so. This is, there's people that are still living, that were alive, that saw Jesus crucified, that heard the news of Jesus being crucified. And if not, it was quickly passed down to their family members. Okay, They are not so removed from the, from the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified and risen from the dead. And these Jewish Christians are, are, are influencing the Gentile believers saying that, yes, you need to follow Jesus, but also you need to do this, this, and this because circumcision is the mark of a true person that belongs to God. 
In that time, circumcision was the mark of a true person that belonged to God. And here's the thing, is that even though they may have been circumcised, they may not actually worship God, but they still, in that day and age, belonged to God because they were circumcised. Rudimentary thinking. And he says, in him... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When Christ died and raised, He's thinking on a spiritual level. And He cut off what you did not need, which was your old, dirty flesh or you lived in sin, you were a slave to bondage to the culture, you were a slave in bondage to the philosophies of the world, and you know what Christ did on that cross? He cut that all away from you. And He gave you a new body. He says, don't go according to what these people are teaching you that you need to do. It's not a Jesus and. They would say that if you, if you did Jesus and you did this, you would be saved. Man, what a way to diminish the cross when we say that. What a way to say that Jesus' death wasn't enough. I think we would all agree that His death and His resurrection was sufficient in everything we needed. It was the concept that Jesus plus this equals salvation. As John MacArthur would put it, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Paul's wanted to communicate to these believers that it's the spiritual markers in their life that matter supremely, not the physical markers in their life. Let me ask you this. What are, what are the spiritual markers in your life that say that you belong to Him? What are the spiritual markers in your life that say that you truly belong to God? And do people on the outside see that? What a question. Verse 13 and 14. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Amen? Can anyone say amen to that? By canceling the record of debt and stood against us with its legal documents, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Man, if that doesn't get a Baptist standing up and shouting today, I don't know what will. Because it's because that He took our record. He took those sins that were held against us and He nailed them to the cross there when He was on it. And He took them on Himself. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful act of love that you won't find anywhere else in the world. The philosophies of this world, the philosophers of this world will not lay down their lives for you. The media will not lay down their lives for you. The, the, the political candidates will not lay down their lives for you. They'll tell you a bunch of stuff you want to hear, but you know who laid down their life for you was Jesus Christ. I think we ought to listen to Him. He begins to paint a picture here. That record of debt is a, is a handwritten record of debt. 
Right there where it says he took that record as a handwritten record of debt that would be posted in public and autographed by the debtor saying, I admit this, this admission of guilt that I owe this person and I'm going to pay it back. It was like giving someone an IOU. Right, you ever give someone an IOU? Maybe give them a sticky note with an IOU? How often does that get paid back, right? And, and this pe- these people is saying, you know, you put this record out in public. Your sins are on display, okay? This is your IOU to God. You need to get right with God. You're indebted to God. And you know what Jesus did? It says He set it aside. Maybe your translation says He wiped it out. Or maybe your translation said He blotted it out. He took that ink that was there. And the papyrus of the day, the ink would sit on the paper, but if it wasn't left to dry, it would only leave an indentation. And, and the, the author or the writer would go back and they would take a sponge and they would take the ink and they would blot it out and totally erase it. That was the eraser of the day. And Jesus is saying that your record of, of debt was posted there in public. You autographed the admission of guilt. And still Jesus took that sponge and he blotted it out as if, as if the record had never been there to begin with beautiful picture. But if that wasn't enough, he took that record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. Killing what put him there. Beautiful, beautiful picture. One of of the most awesome and powerful verses I've ever read in the New Testament. Wow. Wow. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let me tell you something. This is, this is going to be a bit ironic that Paul is writing from prison under the Roman authority. Okay, The very authorities that he's talking about here. Paul is in prison under the authority, and Paul is speaking of the freedom of Christ And it's funny because the authorities that put him on the cross, Jesus is saying he disarmed them when he came off the cross. And these authorities that speak to you and I today, the authorities of the world, do not stand a chance against Jesus because Jesus broke their power. Jesus took their authority when he rose from the grave. Put your trust in in Him. Who has the final word at the end of it all? We know we've seen, we've read the book of Revelation. We know how this thing ends. We know who has the ultimate authority when He comes back. It doesn't matter who's, who is going to bow on their knees because Jesus has the ultimate authority. Live today with the authority of Christ reigning over your life because at the end that's all that's going to matter. Who do you serve today? My brother and sister, Who are you serving? Are you serving your boss? Are you serving the president? Are you serving the Master, the Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did everything for you? Who do you serve? Coming to a close here, part three. The inadequacy of man-made religion and philosophies. Paul is going to go on a rant here. He talks about his desires for them, how to be a faithful church, how to be faithful Christians. He talks about the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is everything that they need. And now he's going to talk about how we fall short if we don't have Christ. 
says, therefore, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. Turn to your neighbor, don't spit, and say Christ is the substance. You see all these things... We're just a shadow. Again, he's doing a play on the philosophy here, the Platonic philosophy of the world that said that in this life we can only see shadows of things that are real. If you see a tree, it's only a shadow. When you get to heaven, you'll see the real tree. If you see God in this life, it's only a shadow of God. When you get to heaven, you will see the real God. And Paul is saying, no, you know what? All these things that you're doing are just like the shadows of God, but the substance of God is Christ that lived on this earth. God is with you because his presence dwells in you. You have been filled to completion. Don't worship the shadows. Worship the substance that is God. And that is Jesus Christ. He goes on, let no one disqualify you, insisting that on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. God revealed himself through Jesus, John chapter 1, Jesus is the Logos, Jesus is the Word, the literal revelation of God to man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus came and took on flesh and dwelt among us, and He revealed to us the God that we serve. You may try to find favor with God. You may try to obtain a revelation of God through rituals and practices, but you will never succeed because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way. I am the, I am the three truth claims about Himself. He said, I am the way. I am the road. I am the path to get to God. He said, I am the truth. You know, it's sad today in a world that we live in where absolute truth has gone out the window. Things are subjective. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You know what matters is the truth. Because your opinion doesn't, doesn't change the truth. The truth doesn't stop being the truth because you don't believe it. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Then he goes on to talk about the pride and the logic of man. Man-made things, here listen to me guys, man-made things will most of the time lead to the glorification of man. Man-made things will most of the time lead to the glorification of man. And we are becoming a more and more humanistic society and less and less human one. We are becoming more and more a society that worships ourselves and less and less a human one because we were created in the image of God and God created us to be good and the body is not bad. We have made it bad. God made it good. And so we are forgetting quickly what God has created us to be and we're turning quickly to the worship of what we think we ought to be instead of looking to the truth that He has provided for us in His Word, and the truth that is Jesus Christ, that is exactly what He was warning these Christians about. 
Don't turn to worship yourselves. Don't turn to mold yourself in your image. You have already been created in the image of God. You have already been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been filled to completion. And now, what does he say? Walk in that. Being rooted. Being built up. Being established in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me this morning? All of these things, the earthly wisdom, they have an appearance of of good. They have an appearance of, of puffing us up, of, of, of putting us on a pedestal. Megan, if you don't mind, would you just come up real quick? We're going to get started here uh, on our masterpiece. But the only, thing good, uh, the only thing opinions are good for is this one thing, making us go to war with one another. When Paul said we're supposed to be knit together in love, the only thing opinions do is make us go to war with one another. We must cling to the truth that is Jesus Christ because opinions don't save us. It's not the opinion of man that made dead people live. It's not the opinion of your pastor that makes dead people live. It's not the zeal of the most pious believers that makes dead people live. What makes dead people live and what sets people free from bondage of sin and death is the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't turn to what enslaved you when he's already saved you. And I just give to you today, I present to you today that in a world of questions, in a world of problems, in a world of chaos, are you turning to the right thing? Because there is a lot of opinions out there, but none of them will save you. Stick to the one that was faithful to you. You know, the painting always reflects the artist. We're going to find out how this goes. This is going to be sort of an experiment here. But I was thinking, if the painting always reflects the artist, and here we are, Megan is, is, can you all give a hand for Megan? She's helping me out. She's doing a great job already. And just, you're going to, just, just be fast. I'm going to, I'm going to talk fast, so just try to keep up with me. So, you know, we, 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 we have plenty of worldly opinions, don't we? We have plenty of people speaking into our life, don't we? Here we have the philosophers. Everyone is a philosopher, right? He tells us what to do. He tells us how to think. What's worth it? What is life to us? What does it all mean? We hear the media right? We hear the newscasters. We hear the presidential candidates that tell us, this is how you live. This is how you think. This is what will make you whole. We have our friends. We have our family who maybe we respect a little bit more, who maybe we trust a little bit more, and they're going to they're gonna throw a little bit of something on there. They're going to tell us, this is how you ought to live. Your, your fathers and mothers are going to tell your kids, this is how you ought to live. Your, your, fam- your, your grandparents are going to tell you, this is what you need to be successful in life. All these thoughts and all these opinions stirring it up in our life, Right? How about our enemies? Do our enemies have something to say to us? Don't you love when your enemies try to tell you what is right and what's wrong? And they, it just feels just like that, doesn't it? Just, just, a, just a painting 
throwing at you. And here's the thing about opinions is that our opinions are often wild. Our opinions are often not thought through. They're not based in the truth, right? They're not, they're not going to hold us up. And now, get ready to keep up, Megan. We're about to get rolling here. I want you to think about the big issues in our life, the big problems in our life. When it comes to divorce, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to these, these sensitive topics in our life, and this is just a big mess that is thrown everywhere and everyone's just, just saying what they think, what they think, what they think. Right? Doesn't look like a whole lot, does it? How about the meaning of life? How about racism? How about suicide? How about the evil in the world? How about war? How about biblical doctrines in the church? Right? All a mess, isn't it? All thrown on there and we get this big glump of just, just various things. And the things about opinions is they run so wild, don't they? The things about opinions is they run wild. They don't really provide us with what we need, do they? Thanks, Megan. Did she do a great job? She kept up with me. Now listen here. This is what a world full of opinions will get you to. You ever feel like that? Does your mind ever feel like that? Does your heart ever feel like that? I want to read you something. There was a speaker and teacher, Christian teacher, Ravi Zacharias, who passed away not too long ago. Brilliant man. And he used this illustration before I want to share with you today. There was a song written by Ed Ames called Who Will Answer? Are you familiar with the song? These are the words of the song. From the canyons of the mind we wander on and stumbly blind through the often tangled maze of starless nights and sunless days while asking for some kind of clue or road to lead us to the truth, but who will answer? Side by side, two people stand, together vowing hand in hand that love's embedded in their hearts, but soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives, and when they see the hows and whys, who will answer? On a strange and distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child because a bullet running wild has struck him down, and now we cry, dear God, oh why, oh why, but who will answer? High upon a lonely ledge, a figure teeters near the edge, and jeering crowds collect below to egg him on with go man go, but who will ask what led him to his private day of doom, and who will answer? In the rooms of dark and shades, the scent of sandalwood pervades, the colored thoughts and muddled heads reclining on the rumpled beds of unmade dreams that can't come true, and when we ask what we should do, who, who will answer? Neath the spreading mushroom tree, the world revolves in apathy, as overhead a row of specks rolls on, drowned out by discotheques, and, a secret but and if a secret button's pressed, because one man has been outguessed, who will answer? Is our hope in walnut shells worn round the neck with temple bells or deep within some cloistered walls where hooded figures pray in halls or crumbled books on dusty shelves or in our stars or in ourselves? Who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name. If the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game. Who will answer? 
Who will answer? Who will answer? He speaks of divorce. He speaks of drug addiction. He speaks of war. He speaks of nuclear attacks. And he asks this question, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? You notice that it's not what is the answer. You notice that he says, who will answer? And I think our world is turning to the place of asking the question, who will answer? They're just looking to the wrong people to be the answer. Let me tell you that 2,000 years ago, someone did answer. On that cross, he made an answer. And he gave us a solution. Winston Churchill said this, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it. But in the end, there it is. In the end, the truth prevails. And I just want to see today that the cross still stands even amidst all the opinions of the world, all the philosophies they have been nailed to that cross. And He killed them there. And yet, when all else is gone, the truth remains. Jesus Christ still saves. Amen? And I just want to close with this over in John chapter 18, verse 35. The book of John chapter 18, verse 35. Jesus goes before Pontius Pilate, before His crucifixion. Again, this is Something that I've heard from Ravi Zacharias, but it's beautifully put. In verse 35, it says, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered me, delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says to him, What is truth? And as Ravi Zacharias points out, before Jesus answers the question, probably the most important question that Pilate could ever have asked, he walks away unknowing the answer. And so if you're here this morning, and maybe you're looking for the answer, and you've asked the question this morning, what is truth? Don't be like Pilate and walk away unanswered. He's the answer. He's what you're looking for. Stop searching and come to Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You that You sent Jesus, Your Son. That is the truth. God, I pray for anyone in this room this morning that needs to hear that message that Jesus is the ultimate truth. God, I pray, Lord, that You would lead their hearts to You. God, help us to be a church that honors You and Your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.